0: Hello, and welcome to the final report on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode three. In this episode, we continue to hear about Trump's big lie. Reading this portion of the report is Christopher Gregson. So, without further ado, let's continue. 1.7.
1: President Trump had his day in court. We've proven the election was stolen, but no judge, including the Supreme Court of the United States, has had the courage to allow it to be heard. That was how President Trump described efforts to overturn the election in court one day before the Electoral College met on December 14, 2020. That was false. Judges across the nation did evaluate President Trump's claims that the election was stolen, As longtime Republican election attorney Benjamin Ginsburg testified before the select committee, the president's camp did have their day in court. It's just that in no instance did the court find that the charges of fraud were real. In total, the Trump campaign and allies of President Trump filed 62 separate lawsuits between November 4, 2020 and January 26, 2021, calling into question or seeking to overturn the election results. Out of 62 cases, only one case resulted in a victory for President Trump or his allies, which affected relatively few votes, did not vindicate any underlying claims of fraud, and would not have changed the outcome in Pennsylvania. 30 of the cases were dismissed by a judge after a hearing on the merits. In every state in which claims were brought, one or more judges specifically explained as part of their dismissal orders that they had evaluated the plaintiff's allegations or supposed proof of widespread election fraud or other irregularities and found the claims to be entirely unconvincing. In Arizona, for example, the plaintiffs in Boyer versus Ducey alleged that the election was tainted by the introduction of hundreds of thousands of illegal, ineligible, duplicate, or purely fictitious ballots. A federal judge dismissed their suit, finding it void of plausible allegations and sorely wanting of relevant or reliable evidence. Likewise, in Ward v. Jackson, an Arizona state court judge dismissed a lawsuit by the state GOP chair following a two-day trial, finding no evidence of misconduct, fraud, or illegal votes. This ruling was unanimously upheld by the state Supreme Court where all seven justices were appointed by GOP governors. In Georgia, a state court dismissed Bullen v. Raffensperger in which alleged that tens of thousands of illegal ballots were cast by out-of-state voters or with invalid signature matches. The judge found that the complaint's factual allegations rest on speculation rather than duly pled facts and Do not support a conclusion that sufficient illegal votes were cast to change or place in doubt the results of the election. The judge who issued this decision had been appointed by a Republican governor, and has seven of the eight justices of the state supreme court who upheld her ruling. Likewise, a federal judge denied relief to the plaintiff in Wood v. Raffensperger, which alleged that the new procedures for checking absentee ballot signatures spoiled the results by making it harder to reject illegal ballots, finding no basis in fact or law to grant him the relief he seeks. The judge wrote that this argument is bellied by the record because absentee ballots were actually rejected for signature issues at the same rate as in 2018. In Michigan, a federal judge found in King v. Whitmer that the plaintiff's claims of massive election fraud were based on nothing but speculation and conjecture that votes for President Trump were destroyed, discarded, or switched to votes for Vice President Biden. Similarly, a state court judge rejected plaintiff's claims in two cases brought against Detroit and the surrounding county that accused them of systematic fraud in how absentee ballots were counted. The judge found that in one group of plaintiffs offered no evidence to support their assertions and that the other group's interpretation of events is incorrect and decidedly contradicted by highly respected election experts. In Nevada, a state court judge rejected a litany of claims of systematic election fraud in Law versus Whitmer, ruling that plaintiffs did not prove under any standard of proof that illegal votes were cast and counted, or legal votes were not counted at all due to voter fraud, or for any other improper or illegal reason. The ruling was unanimously upheld by the Nevada Supreme Court. In Pennsylvania, a federal judge dismissed Donald Trump for President v. Buchvar, finding that the Trump campaign had presented nothing but strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations pled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. The dismissal was upheld by the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, which held, Calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. That opinion was authored by another Trump appointee. Lastly, in Wisconsin, another judge dismissed a lawsuit accusing the Wisconsin Elections Commission of constitutional violations that, likely tainted more than 50,000 ballots. The judge ruled, this court has allowed plaintiff the chance to make his case and he has lost on the merits, failing to show that the outcome was affected by commission rules about drop boxes, ballot addresses, or individuals who claimed indefinitely confined statuses to vote from home. The ruling was upheld by a three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, all of whom were Republican appointees, including one appointed by President Trump himself. In all, the judges who heard these post-election cases included 22 federal judges appointed by Republican presidents. President Trump and his lawyers were well aware that courts were consistently rejecting his claims. During a December 18th meeting in the Oval Office with President Trump, Sidney Powell, and others, White House Senior Advisor Eric Hirschman pointed out that President Trump's lawyers had their opportunity to prove their case in court and failed. Powell fired back that the judges are corrupt. Hirschman responded, Everyone, every single case that you've done in the country you guys lost, every one of them is corrupt, even the ones we appointed? President Trump was faced with another choice after having his day in court. He could accept that there was no real evidence of voter fraud, or he could continue to amplify conspiracy theories and lies. He chose the latter. 1.8. President Trump repeatedly promoted conspiracy theories. Instead of accepting his defeat... President Trump attempted to justify his big lie with a series of increasingly preposterous claims. The president was not simply led astray by those around him. The opposite was true. He actively promoted conspiracy theories and false election fraud claims even after being informed they were baseless. Millions of President Trump's supporters believed the election was stolen from him. Many of them still do, but President Trump knew the truth and chose to lie about it. The power of the president's bully pulpit should not be underestimated, especially in the digital age. President Trump's relentless lying sowed seeds of distrust in Americans' election system. Researchers who studied this election denial phenomenon have noted, President Trump didn't just prime his audience to be receptive to false narratives of election fraud. He inspired them to produce those narratives and then echoed those false claims back to them. Media played a prominent role in amplifying erroneous claims of election fraud. Shortly after election day, the Stop the Steal campaign, discussed more fully in Chapter 6, went viral. Stop the Steal influences echoed President Trump's premature declaration of victory, asserting that he won the election, that Democrats stole it from him, and it was the responsibility of American patriots to combat this supposed injustice. This resulted in what Attorney General Barr has described as an avalanche of false claims as President Trump's supporters attempted to justify his big lie. The post-election allegations of fraud and other malfeasance was completely bogus, silly, and usually based on complete misinformation, Barr explained. Nonetheless, many of President Trump's supporters wanted to believe them. The stolen election narrative has proven to be remarkably durable precisely because it is a matter of belief, not evidence or reason. Each time a claim was debunked, more claims emerged in its place. Barr later complained that this dynamic forced him and others to play whack-a-mole. The United States Department of Justice, under Barr's leadership and then-acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, was forced to knock down one lie after another. As discussed in Chapter 4, Barr took unprecedented steps to investigate the avalanche of lies. Claims of election fraud were referred to United States Attorneys' Offices and the FBI for investigation. Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue tracked dozens of investigations. None of them were found to have merit. The top officials in President Trump's Justice Department personally told the president that the claims he was promoting were false but that did not matter to the president. As Barr told the select committee, President Trump never showed any indication of interest in what the actual facts were. For example, on December 27th, Rosen and Donahue spent approximately two hours on the phone with President Trump. They debunked a litany of claims regarding the election, explaining that each had been investigated and found to be baseless. According to Donahue, President Trump had this arsenal of allegations he wanted to rely on. Donahue thought it was necessary to explain to the president, based on actual investigations, actual witness interviews, actual reviews of documents, that those allegations simply had no merit. Donahue wanted to cut through the noise and be very blunt with the president, making it clear these allegations were simply not true. During their December 27th convention with President Trump, Rosen and Donahue rebuted False claims regarding suitcases of ballots in Georgia, Dominion's voting machines in Antrim County, a truckload of ballots in Pennsylvania, ballots being scanned multiple times, people voting more than once, dead people voting, Native Americans being paid to vote, and more votes than voters in particular jurisdictions. As the officials debunked each claim, President Trump would roll on to the other one. Donahue told President Trump that federal law enforcement officials had conducted dozens of investigations and hundreds of interviews and that they had concluded that the major allegations were not supported by the evidence developed. Donahue and Rosen told President Trump flat out that much of the information he was getting was false and or just not supported by the evidence. President Trump responded, you guys may not be following the Internet the way I do. The Department of Justice was not alone in trying to contain the president's conspiracy mongering. President Trump's lies were often debunked in real time by state authorities, judges, experts, journalists, federal officials, and even members of his own legal team. As discussed above, the president's campaign team found that there was no significant fraud in the election. So the president pushed them aside. The courts rejected nearly every claim brought by the president's legal team. Even though courts rejected the claims as speculative, unsupported, and meritless, President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and others continued to assert them as truth to Trump's followers in speeches, tweets, and podcasts. The burden of refuting the false claims made by President Trump and his surrogates often fell on state and local officials. For example, in Michigan, the Secretary of State's office posted thorough and prompt responses to the claims of election fraud on a fact check page on its website. In Georgia, the Secretary of State's office issued news releases and held frequent press conferences in the weeks following the election to respond to claims of fraud. County clerks in the contested states also spoke out publicly to refute allegations. Even as the president undermined the public's confidence in how votes were cast and counted, these clerks assured voters that their elections were secure and they could have confidence in the results. Outside experts also publicly denounced and dismantled the claims being raised and amplified by President Trump. This was done in the context of litigation, congressional hearings, and press releases. President Trump simply ignored those authoritative sources and continued to promote false claims that had been soundly discredited. Below, the select committee presents two cases demonstrating how President Trump and his surrogates lied in the face of overwhelming evidence. The first case study deals with Dominion voting systems. President Trump repeatedly claimed that Dominion software switched votes and rigged the election well after the leaders of campaign and Justice Department officials told him that these claims were baseless. The president's smear of Dominion was central to his big lie. The second case study examines video footage recorded in Fulton County on election night. President Trump and his representatives concocted a fictional narrative based on a deceptively edited version of the footage. After these two case studies, the select committee examines a variety of other claims the president repeatedly made. Once again, these claims had no
0: basis in truth. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios, under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And of course please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.